Good morning, church. I'm Pastor Jay. It is a privilege, I mean that each week, to stand, to sing, to worship, and to fellowship, to give, recite creeds, and to sit under the preaching of God's Word. This is God's Word to us. This is not my Word to you. I just simply am the deliverer, but we stand under our confession as we stand under God's Word. It is the infallible, inerrant Word of God. And that's especially important this morning, the passage I asked Pastor Doug to read, uh, reminding us our one standard of truth in a world of lies, in a world of deception, is God's holy Word. There is no other book under heaven that is inspired, infallible, inerrant from God. Not the Quran, not the Adi Granth, not the Bhagavad Gita, not the Book of Mormon, none. Only the living Word of God. And we are so grateful we have that. And that is why we open it up. And so if you're newer here, that is why we devote a large chunk of our worship service to the exposition of this book. A lot of churches and denominations, seminaries have given that up. And the reason goes back to their view of biblical authority. When your view of biblical authority erodes, and you no longer believe these are the words of God, then you have to fill the stage time with something else and you fill it with political commentary or social commentary or some other agenda, but you no longer hear exposition of Scripture anymore. And we want that to stay forefront in our church. Our passage today, I invite you to turn to it, <clears throat> Exodus chapter 20, and we are in a series on the Ten Commandments. We're looking at one per week. Subtitle of our series is God's Pathway to Freedom. And the reason is because the Ten Commandments were ultimately given not in order to help us get saved. They were given to help those who are already saved. Next weekend when we conclude our series, I'm going to do just a little bit of review of the purpose of God's law in our lives. I've been doing that a little bit throughout the series. It's such an important topic that is often not treated much in contemporary evangelicalism. Most of the time we hear, oh, that's old. <laughs> that's the Old Testament, and that's law. And it's often said with a little bit of castigation even. And Jesus and Paul, you look at King David, held a very high view of the law of God and so it's, it, it is important we understand what it does today, the purpose of it today in our life. I'll review a little bit of that next week. Today we come to the ninth commandment, <clears throat> and we've said that it is very important in our day, which is a day of great moral confusion. I mean, who here would deny that? Young people, you know that perhaps more than the rest of us, but it's, it's a day of great moral confusion. And not only in the culture, it is seeping into the church, seeping into seminaries and denominations. And this moral confusion is destroying families, damaging lives. Uh, it, is, it is destroying people because it doesn't care who it takes down. And in the midst of all that, you have the Ten Commandments that offers us a path, offers those who already know God a path to freedom, to joy, to avoiding making destructive mistakes and choosing the path that leads to joy and freedom. Today we come to the ninth commandment. <clears throat> I'm entitling this one, Refuse to Lie. I'll, sh I'll share why. We'll look at the original context. It is nothing less than a call to truthfulness. 
which is a moral principle that is foundational for any civil society. Uh, I'm also doing something I've never done in a sermon series. I'm using the same sermon outline every Sunday. And so it gets, it's getting predictable. I know that. Patience, I ask. Uh, next week will be the last one. Cal Hebert over here. Did, uh, yeah, you, you offered the only variety <laughs> in your message on the third commandment, which was really good. But I, I just chose for this one, you know what? I'm just going to stick with the what, why, how. And uh, it's good once in a while to do something a little different. So what? We're going to look at what today the commandment is, and then the why, and then the how. So let's dive in. Chapter 20, the book of Exodus. We have noted these were given in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5. That's because that's called the second giving of the law. That comes from the Septuagint, Deuteronomus, second giving of the law. It was a new generation that had come up. Law was then given a second time. We are back when it was given the first time, Moses, Mount Sinai. First giving of the ten words, these are called in the Hebrew, according to Deuteronomy 4. And we come to the ninth word. It is chapter 20, verse 16 in English translations. And it reads, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. I've entitled this, Refuse to Lie. The reason is the context originally had to do with perjury in Israel's legal system in their court of law. That's the original context. Why? I mean, why would it be worded this way instead of just don't lie? Well, the reason is this. One of the strongest, if not the strongest line of evidence in the ancient world in a court of law was eyewitness testimony. This was the day before you had DNA testing, a day before you had audio and video recordings, before you had fingerprint analysis and all that. A credible eyewitness, keyword credible eyewitness, had tremendous power to strip somebody of freedom or liberty or property or even their life. And so because of that, God lays down very, I would say, strict guidelines for courts of law because eyewitness testimony was so powerful. In Deuteronomy 19, for instance, you you were not allowed to convict somebody in a court of law without two independent witnesses. And if a witness was caught lying in a court of law, there was often strict penalties. So in the ninth commandment, We're being reminded to be honest in verbal matters, to traffic in truth. By application, obviously, this applies across the board. It would cover any form of falsehood or dishonesty or lying or even current things going on that never end, but the latest being something like deep fake. Those of you who may know what this is or not, deep fake is uses artificial intelligence, AI, to produce very convincing audio and video hoaxes. <clears throat> I watched one, for example, this week about Tom Cruise. And it was so convincing watching it. It's, it's a little scary. It's often used against celebrities, well-known people, to produce fake audio or video th- compelling you know, evidence. And then these go crazy on the internet. And then you're left stuck with, how do you even you know, disprove it? Because it looks so legit, deep fake. So this says, you know, we are to be truth tellers. Uh, to get a feel for God's view of truth, I want you to turn for just a moment to Proverbs chapter 6. There are a few times in the Bible where God says, I hate something. Uh, in Malachi, he says, I hate divorce. He, now, please hear that. He never says, I hate the divorced. That's not... I hate divorce. What he means is I hate what divorce does, the carnage it spreads and all that kind of stuff. We all have that in our extended families, I'm sure. 
I had a grandmother that was divorced and remarried five times. And it's just, it creates destruction across the board. Uh, here in Proverbs 6, God tells us something else he hates. <clears throat> Proverbs 6, verse 16 to 19. I'll pick up at verse 16. And here we have just a reminder of God's value of truth and what he hates. There are six things the Lord hates. uses his divine name here, Yahweh. Six things Yahweh hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. That's a, that's a formula sometimes you'll see in Hebrew. Uh, you know, it'll say one number and then heighten it by one number just to, you know, put the emphasis. So six things he hates. Yea, seven that are abomination. And then it lists them. Haughty eyes, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are that make haste to run evil, to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies. There's the perjury piece lifted from the Ten Commandments. And the one who sows, sows discord or divisiveness among brothers. So in a word, God hates lying. What's so sobering is you go back to Genesis and you're barely out of the chute. Genesis 3, the serpent lies. Who's the very first liar? It's the serpent, who we know is Satan in the form of a snake. Then Cain lies, Abraham lies, Isaac lies, Jacob lies, Laban lies, Joseph's brothers lie, Potiphar's wife lies, and you're not even out of Genesis. I mean, it just, it just it, right from the beginning of human history, lie after lie after lie. It was a lie that led Jesus to his crucifixion. Uh, in the book of Acts, chapter 5, uh, a couple uh, Ananias and Sapphira were told they kept back the price of some property and then they lied and it said uh, they lied, we're told, Peter said they lied to the Holy Spirit and God struck them dead. One of those zap passages that shock us in the Bible. Of course, the great danger with lying, friends, young people especially want your attention this morning. The great danger of lying is, is manyfold, but one of them is this. The more you lie, the easier it becomes. That's one of the great, and it's one of the hardest sins to break out of, Becky and I have discovered over the years, working with all sorts of different people in pastoral ministry. And we, we move from telling a lie to telling lies to becoming a liar, and it's a pretty quick trajectory if we're not careful. And once you have become a liar, it's a terrifying thing. It's a very, very difficult sin to break out of. And you end up in, uh, in a web of deception. Okay? Classic example. Some of you will remember this, but it's a fascinating example. Um, back in the 50s and 60s, there were rating wars, obviously, on TV, as there are today. And one of, them, uh, one of these rating wars was often fought over game shows. Some of you know this. So CBS has a game show called The $64,000 Question. Anybody remember it? A few of you? Okay. You don't, maybe you don't want to say your age, so. <laughs> NBC had one called 21. And these were kind of uh, like early versions of who wants to be a millionaire, you know, that kind of thing. And the sh so the shows re relied on a carefully crafted aura of honesty. Obviously, when big money's at stake and you're asking questions and people put in soundproof booths, you know, to answer these questions. Big money's at stake. So obviously, temptation's very high in the ratings war to one-up the other network and, you know, do something. Well, then it happened. The producers of 21 on NBC, in an attempt to get an, a, a, a gain in the ratings, began to rig 
some of the contestants. Some of you know this. And in particular, a Mr. Charles Van Doren, writer and editor, uh, was carefully coached with questions and answers ahead of time and even how to, how to, how to answer the question. You know, you got you to kind of do this and kind of do this and, you know, look like you're struggling with the, and then come out with the answer. He eventually won $129,000 in six weeks. 129, this is back in 1959. $129,000 in six weeks, equivalent to over a million today. And he made the cover of Time magazine. This is pretty big stuff. Uh, by the way, there's a movie made of this. Some of you have seen it, Quiz Show, starring Ralph Finesse back in 1994. Fascinating. They use the, all the names, Charles Van Doren and everything. Quiz Show. Uh, was in the theaters. Becky and I saw it back in 90. It was a fascinating portrayal of this whole event. Well, everything came crashing down, as it often does, because, the, you know, it's so interesting. The truth just has a way of coming out in history. Uh, several years ago, Becky and I uh, were at my brother's church in Virginia, and their senior pastor is an author and a senior pastor and uh, a, a, a lawyer. Uh, reminder that not all people are created equal. So anyways... Um, yeah, Thomas Jefferson and Abraham Lincoln weren't quite right on that. But we, we were talking to him, and somehow we got onto you know, pastoral ministry and all the crazy stuff that happens, and especially as a lawyer and all the stuff he does. And he just, he, I, I never forget a statement. He looked at us and he said, you know, it's so interesting as you look at history, the truth, and he was saying this more as a lawyer, I guess, it, it's an interesting how the truth just has a way of eventually coming out just on just about every topic. Somehow it, it wiggles its way out. And it did on this. So a couple of reporters get, get a hint what's going on. They start investigating. And then Van Doren is subpoenaed before Congress. And one month after the hearings began, he finally confesses that he, it was, the whole thing was a fraud. He was complicit in the fraud. And on November 2nd, 1959, he admitted to the House Subcommittee on Legislative Oversight that he had been, in fact, coached, given questions and answers. And here's part of his statement. Quote, I was involved, deeply involved, in a deception. Close quote. And it all came down. Again, I'd encourage you to watch Quiz Show, Ralph Finesse, 1994. So that is the what. We could spend more time on that today, but God wants us to be truth-tellers. He values truth. And he says he is truth, and that's why, again, we read that passage this morning, emphasizing this, ladies and gentlemen, young people, is our one source of truth. This is where God has spoken. These are his living words. Okay, let's look at the why of the command. Why? I could give lots of reasons, obviously, this morning, so could you. I'm just going to zero in on three that are like no-brainers. Number one, lying is a sin against God. We have to say that one first. The Bible reminds us God doesn't just love the truth. Jesus didn't say, uh, Jesus didn't just come along and say like every other philosopher or religious leader, I'm, I'm, I'm pointing to truth or I'm going to lead you to the truth. What did he say? I am the truth. That's different. It's big difference. John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then a few chapters later, chapter 17, verse 3, he says, oh God, your word is truth, is truth. So, lying is a direct sin against God and his high exaltation of truth. Secondly, lying damages others. Whenever we choose to lie, we do tremendous damage. 
uh, I can share, any pastor could share, any counselor, leader could share over the years as you watch, especially uh, couples and or extended families in which lying has taken place. Uh, part of my extended family is a mess. And just so much lying and divorce on that side. And it's, it's tragic to see what it does to people and families and, 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 and to couples. Thirdly, not only is it, dam- is, is it uh, a sin against God and damages others, lying damages us, us. And I don't have to go any further than to name George Santos, who's been in the news so much in the last few months. He was elected in November, obviously, a lot of you remember, to New York's 3rd Congressional District. And six weeks after his election, several of the news outlets, once again, interesting how truth has a way of coming out, a uh, large uh, number of news outlets discovered that his self-published, uh, I guess it was autobiography, had all sorts of crazy wild claims in it. And they found out that he had made exaggerated claims, just blatant lies about ancestry, education, employment, charity work, property ownership, and all sorts of other things. He finally admitted to lying about a number of these things. And he's still currently under investigation uh, at federal, state, and county authorities. Bottom line, kids, young people, adults, regular lying turns us into liars. Romans 1 speaks of the fact that we can get to a point of rejecting God and that God gives someone over to a depraved mind. That's a terrifying thing. It's truly frightening to see somebody, all of us have seen somebody who's lied so long that they they literally are living in an alternate reality. Matrix, you know, you know, they're not in, I mean, they're there, but they don't live, and you can really tell a serial liar because they start lying about things that aren't even important anymore. Alex Murdoch, in the case we talked about last week and things, these, these kind of people, they lie about stuff that doesn't even matter anymore. And it's just uh, another example, um, this one was kind of haunting, and it just happened a few years ago, uh, about uh, in the late 90s, I, an ambassador to Switzerland, Larry Lawrence, buried in Arlington Cemetery in Washington, D.C. And his tombstone read, Seaman First Class Merchant Marine. So think about how lying damages us. Seaman First Class Merchant Marine, he's buried in Arlington Cemetery, D.C. Two New York Times investigator reporters got wind of something was a little odd. And they discovered he lied. And that he'd never been in the Merchant Marines, never been wounded. He claimed in March 1945 that he had been on a ship that was torpedoed off the Russian coast. Yada, yada. Well, found out in 1945, March 1945, he was actually here in Chicago at Wilbur Wright Junior College, enrolled as a student. So, unprecedented, his casket was exhumed out of Arlington Cemetery. And moved. I think they took it out to California somewhere. But it was moved under the auspices of he'd lied. Lying damages us. Whether it's George Santos, whether it's Larry Lawrence, whether whoever, whether it's you, me. When we lie, kids, young people, when you lie. And then if you keep lying and turn into a liar, it will damage you on many, many different levels. All right, let's move to the how of the command this morning. Obviously, we could talk about all sorts of stuff, but I'm going to zero in on four ways 
how to avoid uh, lying, how to avoid not being a truth teller. Okay, number one, the obvious one up front, avoid blatant lying. Now, I, I, I want to I make a distinction here that's very important. We've got to define a lie because there's a lot of confusion on this. And this, this one, you know, every, everybody has something that drives them crazy. This one drives me crazy. And here's how it drives me crazy. And I've, I've done it too, so I'm guilty. But somebody will do this. You'll say, um, can you, you know, and can you direct me to, I'm looking for something in a town. I'm looking for directions. And they'll go, hey, yeah, 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 yeah. You, you just go down the street and then you take a left. And then, oh, hold on, hold on. No, you don't go left. You go, I, I'm sorry, I lied. Uh, you don't go left, you go right. You ever heard that? You ever done it? You know? Or, or, or uh, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering about this kind of a, a, a date or something. They're like, oh yeah, I think that's next Thursday. Oh, hold it, hold it. I lied. It's not Thursday, it's Friday. Sorry. That's not a lie. Okay? It may be dumb. It may be bad intel. It may be goofy information or bad information or inaccurate information. But if your goal was to help them and you just simply made a mistake, that's not a lie. And here's, what, here's the danger of calling it a lie. Hear this. It downgrades what lying is. That's the danger of it. Because lying is serious. So what is a lie? It's very simple. Intent to deceive. Usually for malicious reasons. But intent to deceive, that, t- that distinguishes it from hyperbole or, or just teasing or whatever. You're intending to deceive somebody generally for selfish reasons. That, I mean, that's a lie. It's intent, the intent has to be there to deceive. Now, having said all that, we do lie. We lie a lot. I've lied. You've lied. We've all lied. We lie for convenience. I challenged everyone here last week. We're right on the verge of here of tax season. Be very careful. Don't lie to the IRS. That's not a good thing. Don't lie to your, your, uh, your uh, accountant or anyone else doing your taxes or lie yourself on your taxes. Be honest. That's one of the biggest ones that professing Christians cheat on as well as everyone else. We lie to get revenge. We lie to impress people. We lie to get jobs. We lie on resumes. And we lie to escape punishment even when the evidence is overwhelming. Just this last week, I had an absolutely fascinating conversation with somebody. I emailed them afterwards and said, can I, can I use that story? It's just so good. And they said, absolutely. Feel free. It's true. It happened to me. So, thinking of lying, even when the evidence is overwhelmingly clear. This is an individual in our church who used to be a regional investigator of deception in restaurants and retail stores. That's a big title. His actual job title at one point was loss prevention specialist. Okay? Loss prevention specialist. And so he would spend, he would spend hours looking at videotape, you know, the the cameras above the cashiers? That's what he would watch for his job. He even said when he first started dating his bride, they would sometimes go watch these together, you know. Hey, honey, you want to go see a movie tonight? You know? (laughs) And they'd watch, you know, hours of this crazy footage of people. So these are, these are, you know, they're over cashiers and their cameras watching how money comes in and goes out of the till and all this stuff. And, uh, and the thing is, every, the, he's, he said, here's the weird thing. All these people know they're being videotaped. They know there's cameras right overhead. And so his job is to watch this stuff week in, week out, year in, year out, and all the different, from restaurants and retail stores. And he said it was amazing, number one, how many people cheated, how many cashiers cheated. And 
Some would even confess. But he said, we would show them the videotape of themselves. Sitting in a room, we're going to show you videotape. And he said, virtually everybody denied it. <laughs> there it is. I mean, there it is right there. It's like, isn't that you? Isn't that your jacket and coat? Isn't that your hands? Isn't that, that's you. No, I didn't do that. It's just like crazy, insane. And he said it was just, it was almost, it was sad, humorous, tragic how people would sit there and go, I didn't do that. It's like, that looks like you did that. Well, I didn't do it. So even when the evidence is overwhelming, the Bible says, so adults, kids, young people, avoid blatant lying. Anytime you sin, anytime I sin, here's what's going on. I am buying into a lie when I sin that my choice to sin will make me happier than if I didn't sin. Hear that. Anytime I chew, whatever the sin, fill in the blank, lying, cheating, uh, sexual sin, whatever the sin is, I'm telling myself at that moment that by giving into that sin and committing it, I'm actually going to be happier tomorrow and the next day than if I chose to be obedient. And you start realizing that's insane. And that, I, I've done, I've, I do that too. I've had to go back and confess and go, what, why was I lying to myself? This is crazy. I'm far more miserable now than I was if I'd just chosen to be obedient at the moment. It goes back to the old saying, you know, if you think the, the price tag of obedience is high, try the price tag of disobedience. All right, secondly, what's another kind of lying to avoid? Okay, we've all heard of white lies, right? These are still lies. They're sometimes called polite lies. What are they? White lies or polite lies are small distortions of truth used to reduce friction in uncomfortable situations, but are still intended to ultimately deceive. So I like, I like to read books on leadership every so often. Several years ago, I read a good one. I was, for the most part, thought it was pretty good. William Cohn, who was a retired Major General U.S. Air Force. It's called The Stuff of Heroes. And it was a book on the essentials of leadership. He's also an academic. He has a PhD. And he was a major general in the, Army, in the Air Force. First chapter actually was very interesting. It was called Maintain Absolute Integrity. Like, good chapter. But then at the end of the chapter, he, 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 he writes this. Quote, a white lie is an innocent lie. And that's an oxymoron. It's an innocent lie that does not take advantage of anyone else. In fact, it could actually benefit someone else. A leader can, a leader can tell a white lie to his followers without compromising his integrity as long as it's for their benefit and not his own. Close quote. Now, there's an ancient Hebrew word for that. Stupid. <laughs> that, is, that is nuts. That is so ungodly and wrong. And, and, and it took a great chapter, and it was just, in, it, it ends with this dud. It's like, come on, that's crazy. Those are called white lies. There's one word for that, lie. And all of us easily slide into polite lying, shading the truth. It becomes so easy what to say, what not to say, how to nuance it. We have to fight against that. If you know Christ, if you call him Lord, if you say his Holy Spirit lives in you, we have to fight against the tendency 
to even shade things, embellish stuff like that. That's, it's, it's, it's a lie. Third one, avoid euphemisms. Not every euphemism is a lie, but a lot of them are outright lies. Some of the most egregious of our day that we participate in or hear all around us. For example, the killing of an unborn baby in a womb. It's not called abortion, not called murder. It's usually called something today like reproductive freedom or protection of a woman's health, except for the woman being aborted. But that's, that, that's one of the euphemisms of our day. The Nazis, Becky and I had the haunting, sobering experience a couple years ago, I've shared, of going to Auschwitz and Birkenau and spending a day there. Very sobering, to say the least. And we heard all the different euphemisms that were used at Auschwitz and Birkenau, one of them being the final solution. Or the gas chambers were, what, the bathhouses. I mean, they, they changed all the wording because they knew they were lying. They knew what they were doing. And the Nazis were very aware, and so they would spin lies. By the way, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, if you know the name, won a Nobel Prize in literature a number of years ago, exiled from Russia, wrote some classics. He has a little essay called Live Not by Lies. And I couldn't recommend it highly enough. Don't Google it right now and read it, but read it when you get home. It's not that long, and it's a gem. Live Not by Lies. I keep a printed copy in my library. I've kept it highlighted. And it's, he, was, he was a prophetic voice. He ended up exiled in the U.S. for something like 18 years living in Vermont. Then he went back to Russia. And, uh, and then Rod Dreher wrote a book based on that called Live Not by Lies. Very good book. Just came out a couple years ago. And he bases it, takes kind of Solzhenitsyn's essay, and then turns it into a book with contemporary illustrations and stuff, how often we're tempted to lie in all sorts of situations. And the important, Solzhenitsyn's point is, even if you think nobody's going to believe you, speak the truth. It's powerful. And he did, and he ended up in the Russian gulag system. He said, doesn't matter. Uh, another one is, uh, we talked about a couple weeks ago, another euphemism. Uh, instead of adultery, which is a biblical word that has some moral force to it, in the 60s and 70s, language started changing on that. It became an affair or a fling. These aren't affairs, they're not flings. They are violations of marital covenants. They are betrayal and they are adultery. Or when Timothy McVeigh, if some of you remember him, mass killer, Oklahoma bomber, when he was asked about the number of children that were killed in his bombing, he referred to them as, to the kids that were, that were killed, as collateral damage. Talk about evil. And just a reminder to me, to all of us, to be careful with euphemisms. Again, not every single euphemism is a lie. Some are actually helpful when you're around children and being careful with your language and stuff and age-appropriate topics and all that. But a lot of euphemisms, and especially a lot of them in the cultural conversation right now, are outright lies. And they're designed to deceive and change the conversation and do moral evasion. Lastly, here's one a lot of us, I'll confess, guilty of. Avoid exaggeration. You have to fight this one. Exaggeration is one of the most subtle and common forms of lying. 
And we, it happens all the time. Salesperson who exaggerates the advantages of a particular item or the pricing on an item, you know. I have a deal just for you because you're a buddy. You know, you're lucky you came on the lot today because, or you're lucky you came in the store today because, or you're lucky you're online today because I have a special price. The student who exaggerates the reasons why they didn't finish their assignment. Pastors who exaggerate stuff about their church, their finances, their attendance, or what's going on on this story. A couple years ago at our church in Michigan, we had to uh, discipline a missionary who told ridiculously exaggerated stories that we started investigating and found out that they weren't just exaggerations, they were absolute fabrications. And we had numbers of them. And we documented them and then had to confront her and pull her off the field for this kind of thing. And she was very good at it. So lots of different ways, the bottom line, God calls us to be truth tellers. All right, what's our summons today? To make sure that we turn regularly to the one true source of truth and keep our being centered here. Here's one of the most notorious lies we tell ourselves all human beings, is we lie about our own status before God. Now, I don't know where you're at. Maybe you know Christ. I hope you do. I know a lot of us do. But one of the things that human beings by nature do is lie about their own status before God. God grades on a curve. I'll be fine on Judgment Day. Not a big deal. And yet we read, 1 John 1.8, if we claim to be without sin, we lie. The truth is not in us. Or Romans 1.25, we exchange the truth of God for a lie. Here's the truth. Jesus came in John 3 and he said something very powerful. He said, you must be, what? Born again. Changed from the inside out. Meaning to be rescued from sin, rescued from the coming judgment, which is possible. That's the good news. He says, if you want to be rescued from the coming judgment, you need to repent and believe the gospel. That's why he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. That's good news for lawbreakers. I'm a lawbreaker. You're a lawbreaker. We all stand guilty before God's judgment. And Jesus came and said, look it, if you will repent. In Mark 1, it said Jesus came preaching and he said, repent and believe the gospel. That's it. Repent, own up to my sin, and then believe the good news of the gospel. And the Bible says, hear this. Some of us have grids and, and they get messed up. Please hear this. Here's what the Bible promises. If I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ... His righteousness will be transferred to my account, and I will have written over me forgiven. And that's not just, that's, ju that's what justification is. And it's not just justification for what's taking place. And it's not just justification for today. That means all your sin, from the moment you repent and believe, is forgiven forever. All the future stuff, too. Which is why the Apostle Paul said some people view this as some kind of crazy license to keep on sinning. Which he said, if that's true, then you're not really, you don't get it, you're not saved. But justification teaches all sin, past, present, and future. And then the Bible says, my new status is I'm risen with Christ. I'm in union with Christ and His Holy Spirit is, in, in, is inside of me. And that new status brings new responsibilities and new abilities and new power and new desires. And one of those desires is to follow Christ. And that's the person who's truly free. So I close this morning with a quote from a Dutch theologian I used a few weeks ago, Herman Bovink. I love his quote. 
The believer who is justified in Christ, hear this, the believer who is justified in Christ is the freest creature in the world. You want to be free? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Own your sin and you will be the freest creature in the world. Hard to describe what it's like to be clean and forgiven.